0: My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence. My goal is to explore the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. In addition to leadership, I like to discuss mental health, PTSD, and overcoming adversity. If you have a favorite episode, I would love to hear about it. Message me through social media or my website, and I will share some free tools to help you achieve your goals. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you haven't purchased your copy of my book, Fireproof, please grab a copy today. Thanks for listening. Today I've got a special guest, retired Lieutenant Colonel Oak McCulloch. He uh, he was a guest previously. Great conversation. Decided to have him back. Uh, you know, the new short format Um can can serve, uh, you know, to highlight. You know our our beliefs and leadership, or whatever the conversation brings to us. Um, I I want to touch on leadership, obviously, but for those of you that haven't listened to the episode where I interview Lieutenant Colonel McCulloch, um, he retired as a lieutenant colonel. Uh, He is an internationally recognized keynote speaker and the author of the 2021 release, Your Leadership Legacy, Becoming the Leader You Were Meant to Be. Both his leadership presentation and his book are based on his 40 plus years of leadership experience. 23 of those years, uh, he served as a combat arms officer in the United States Army. Uh, oak highlights principles that will benefit today's leaders and inspire the leaders of tomorrow uh, in any profession and at any level of leadership and you'll hear me talk to uh, people from all walks of life that are proven leaders and you know when it comes to effective leadership uh, effective leadership is effective leadership and and in your uh, in your opinion and in your uh, expertise, what would you say or, you know, what would you guide people to develop as, you know, as a leader? What what form of leadership do you believe is, is the most effective?
1: Yeah, I think servant leadership is the most effective. And by the way, thanks for having me back on the show. I We loved being on the show the first time. Um, I think servant leadership is the most effective. I've, I've had leaders all over the scale, you know, and I had a boss one time who told me, Oak, you know, leadership is on a scale. And on one end of the scale, you have the authoritarian micromanaging, do it exactly as I tell you type of leader. And he said, and we've all had that leader and nobody likes that leader. I've been there. And then on the other end of the scale, you have Attila the Hun and Chaos. And he said, you want to be as close to chaos as you can get. He said, because a couple of things happen. Controlled chaos, but as close to chaos as you can get. He said, a couple of things happen. Number one, you use it at that point, you are using other people's skills, other people's abilities and other people's knowledge. And you as the leader don't have all the knowledge. I promise you, I don't care how long you've been there. Use the people on your team. And and that's the whole part of servant leadership is taking some of the responsibility off of you. I mean, you're always the person on the blame line. It's your, you're responsible for everything that does happen in your organization, but give some accountability and some authority away and let other people take care of it. And that's how you get to get to that end of the scale is that you train people to a standard, you give them the tools and the resources that they need to get the job done, you give them the authority And then you get out of their way. And if you do that, then you'll be absolutely amazed at what happens. They will do things that you don't even think they can do. Now, will they do it the same way you would have done it? Absolutely not. But who cares? You know, I always use the analogy, seven plus two is nine. But so is six plus three and five plus four and eight plus one and 10 minus one. It does. How do you... It doesn't matter how you get to nine. You just got to get there. And so let them use their skills, their knowledge, and their abilities to to get you there.
0: Uh, I really like that. I was expecting you to say something like laissez-faire on the other end of the the spectrum, which I guess kind of that that Attila the Hun chaos. um, I don't know. I don't know. How would you where would you place laissez faire leadership?
1: Yeah, some somewhere on that end of the scale. Um but maybe not quite as far as what I'm talking about where where you, you know, you even in that leadership you are allowing people the the freedom to be creative, to use their own skills, their own ability. I think the difference is this. I think even where I'm talking about, it doesn't mean that you wash your hands of what they're doing. You still have to be there as a resource, as a mentor, as somebody, if they got questions or issues they can come to. Because again, you are the one responsible, but but you step out of their way. And even when they come to you, at least in what I've done, the way I adopted that scale that my mentor told me about is I said, if you come to me, I'm not going to, I'm still not going to tell you how to do it. I'm going to say, okay, Dave, here are three ways that I've seen it done. Here's something to think about and then let them think about it and let them figure out which route they want to go. Because again, it, I think the problem is the further away from that you get, the closer we get to micromanaging and micromanaging is evil. It is, that is the worst thing you can do for your organization. Because not only are you cheating that person out of that experience, but you're cheating everybody who ever works for that person out of that experience because they can't pass it on. So you might be affecting your organization for the next 10, 15, 20 years, however long that person works there. So when you micromanage, you're not doing that person any favor. You're not doing yourself any favor and you're not doing your organization any favor. So I think, you know, even though you get as far away from managing people on a dated, on a really close basis, you still got to be involved. It's just, instead of doing things for people and telling them how to do it, you give them ideas of how they can do it and let them pick how they want to do it, what fits their style, what fits their, um, the, the way they do things, because everybody's different. And we want leaders to be different. We don't want robots to out there. We want people to use their own their own style and their own personality and all those things that that make a person a person.
0: Now, one thing that I, I think would be interesting is to hear maybe some of your experiences because you you have this this incredible career, forty years of, of leadership experience. Along the way, and I would imagine early on, you were cutting your teeth, learning how to be a leader, Yeah. and then at some point, you felt like you came into your own and you were standing on your own two feet as a leader and leading just from your own personal leadership ability. rather than being coached by somebody else or you know and was there you know a a turning point or an event where you can say that you actually had that realization like yeah I got this I think I'm where I'm supposed to be
1: yeah well I'll tell you you know it's funny that you bring that that line of thought up because I will tell you that one of the one of the first influences in my career in the Army um, as a leader was actually the person I give the most credit for was my platoon sergeant who worked for me. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I tell people, you know, I, I showed up in the battalion and there was three of us lieutenants who showed up that day. There was only one lieutenant. There was only one platoon leader slot. And for whatever reason, I got it and I got lucky. Because I got Sergeant First Class Penson was my platoon sergeant. They were already out on a range doing a rehearsal for a dismounted live fire exercise, and so I show up at noon. And Sergeant First Class Pinson, who was about six foot five, two hundred and fifty pound, big old country boy from Mississippi, grabs me by the shoulder and says, "Sir, let's grab an MRE. Let's go have lunch." And we went over and we sat down underneath a tree and we we're eating lunch. And he said to me, "He said, you know." you're the boss, you're the lieutenant. We'll do things however you wanna do it. Yeah, I remember I'm 24 year old lieutenant, brand new lieutenant. He said, but I've been in the army for 23 years. I've seen things done. He'd, he'd been in the army almost as long as I'd been alive. He said, I've seen things done every which way they can be done. He said, if you're messing up, I'm gonna tell you. If you still wanna do it that way, we'll do it that way. You're the boss. He said, but it's my job to help develop you as a leader. And and he did. You know, I, I can remember the, one of the times I walked into his office and I said, you know, Sergeant, Sergeant Pinson, this is what I want to do. And he looked at me and he said, do you really want to do it that way, sir? And I said, well, I thought I did, but maybe not. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was really at the end of the time that I worked with Sergeant Pinson after, I think, a year and a couple months. We made a rotation out to the National Training Center and. That's where all the units rotate out there and they put you through a, a pretty rigorous training event that's as, live, as close to live as you're ever going to get without firing real bullets. And and I I started to do some things that made me understand that I I could do things on my own, that I didn't have to go to Sergeant Pinson and ask him his opinion. I still did on occasion when I had something... And the time I could do it, why wouldn't I? I and mean, they may had more experience than than I, way more experience than I did. But but I started feeling comfortable doing things on my own. And then when I moved to my second platoon, it was it was really the confidence was there. And I give Sergeant Pinson a lot of credit for that.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I've interviewed. I I don't even know how many military officers, but. Every single one of them will look back if I, you know, the conversations that I've had, they've all come to this point here where they tell me about their first platoon sergeant or their first non-commissioned officer who was like their second in command. Yeah. You know, as a very young officer in the military, there are those that believe they've got it all figured out and they rely on that position power yeah they'll they'll tell you all day long why you need to listen to them because they've got the rank right that's right and then there's the officers that know that they don't know how much they don't know
1: that's it that's exactly it
0: (laughs) and they know that they can get some answers and some guidance from this individual that's been there done that and has seen the mistakes made by other officers that's right and those officers that are able to you know be humble enough to go to that individual to go to their first sergeant or platoon leader whatever you know they'll they'll go talk to them having Having the ability to get out of your own way, where does that come from?
1: so i th- I think that that comes back to the servant leadership part. and i I, I was lucky. Um, I had a couple mentors in high school who were absolute servant leaders, and I still stay in contact with them. My basketball coach, coach Nedwicky, coach Terry Nedwicky, who was he understood that it wasn't his job just to create a, a winning basketball team. It was to create good young men who were going to go out and be good dads and good people in, in the world. And, and so, and then I had my high school history teacher who I still stay in contact with Mr. Charles Schindler, who uh, was a Vietnam veteran and same thing. He He just didn't teach history. He actually believed his job was to pass on some knowledge and some skills about being a good young man and a good young lady out in the world. And so I had them as early on. And then I had some really good servant leaders in the army um, that that really kind of showed me that's the way to go. And so if you if you believe in servant leadership, then you believe in taking care of the people that you have the privilege to lead because you do believe it's a privilege it's not about this on your shoulder. It's it's not about a title. It's not about rank. It's not about privileges. It's not about pay. Those things are always nice and they come with the job, but that's not, if that's the only reason you want to be a leader, go do something else. You're not going to be a good one at all. It is about how you treat the people that you have the privilege to lead and turning them into better people. And, you know, one of the things that I learned early on just from some servant leaders I worked for was trust the people that work for you, that they have a lot of knowledge. And I'll give you an example. I I got to the point where I figured out not only my platoon sergeant had more experience than I did, but so did my squad leaders, you know, sergeant first sergeant uh, staff sergeants in the army. And when I had, we had an issue or we had a mission or we had a problem that we had to come up with uh, a solution to when I had time, I would call all of them together. So I'd have all four of them. I have my three squad leaders and my platoon sergeant in there who I outranked all of them. And I'd say, okay, here's the problem we have. Give me some ideas. And what I found was some of the, sometimes some of my, the people I thought were going to be studs would give me a bad idea sometimes. And some of the people I thought was the weakest link would sometimes give me a great idea. You know, you never know. But the good part about it is, is that you're under no obligation to use any of their ideas. But generally what I've figured out, because as the leader, it's your job to make that determination, what's a good idea and what isn't, and let's come up with a plan. What I generally found that I I would do is I'd say, okay, I'll take a little bit of your ideas and a little bit of yours, and I'll throw in some mine. And that's the solution we would come up with. And when two things happen, when you do that, you start to build trust, because you asked them their opinion. Even if you didn't use it this time, you might next time you at least ask their opinion. And number two, and probably the most important part of that equation is that no longer is it Lieutenant McCullough or C- Captain McCullough or Colonel McCullough's idea, solution. It's our solution. We had a say in it. So now they have a skin in the game and they're willing to go that little extra mile to make sure it works but you're showing them that they 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 matter and that's the key to servant leadership and i think that's the key if you can get to that point where you can be humble enough to ask people that work for you for their ideas then i think you you go a long way to start that 360 degree trust that you got to have in your organization if you want it to be as effective and efficient as you want it to be
0: now that 360 degree trust you know i there's a gosh i know it's on my shelf i just don't want to take the time to look for it but it's the 360 degree leader yeah where it talks about you know really as a way to shine a light on your blind spots you know your weaknesses where where can as a leader where can i shore up my weaknesses you do you know a 360 degree evaluation where right. you ask your supervisors your peers and the people that you lead to evaluate you and take it look it over and a lot of times you see areas that you had no idea you were deficient in
1: yeah if if you're honest if you're willing to actually look at it and take it for what it is. Uh, Unfortunately, too many times people, you know, you get that 360 degree look and they say, well, that, I don't believe that. Well, somebody believes it because they said it. So, you know, you got to at least take it, you know, you got to at least look at it and say, am I really like that? And I think the 360 degree trust is something like that. At least the way i look at it i think that trust first of all trust is the glue that holds every organization together if you don't have there's no trust in an organization it's not going to be very effective or efficient it probably isn't even going to succeed it's going to fail so i think you know the trust goes a bunch of different ways it's not just the the people you lead trusting you although that is probably the most important part of the trust equation because without that none of the rest of it matters it's also you trusting the people that you lead. You got to trust that, that when you give them an assignment that they can get the job done that you're asking them to do, then everybody on your team has to trust everybody else that they're going to do their job and that they know how to do their job and that they're dependable. And then the last piece of that trust is that it, people outside your organization, what type of trust do you develop with the other other businesses the other organizations that you have to do business with because if they don't trust you they're not going to do business with you if they don't trust you they're not going to put their lives on the line for you they're not going to trust that you're going to protect their lives when that comes down to it you know when you're talking about first responders or the military so i think that the three if you don't have that 360 degree trust somewhere in there if you're missing one of those then you're not going to be as effective and efficient as as you could be
0: yeah, I've I've talked about trust quite a bit on this show but this is the first time unless we touched on it in the first interview but I don't No, we didn't.
1: I don't think we did talk about trust yeah. in the first interview.
0: But uh, that's that's a whole different way of looking at it. the 360 degree trust. I I think that, that's a great way to look at it and how to really see what is important you know all the different areas that are important for you to make sure there's a trusting relationship there
1: yeah i and i think you know many all most leaders under they believe that the trust is the people that they're leading have to trust them not all unfortunately but (laughs) but most leaders understand that, that that's pretty simple Um, that's pretty, that's ingrained in most leadership training right at the very beginning, but nowhere, at least in my training, did, did we talk about, you know, that you also got to trust them and that they got to trust each other. And, you know, and, and just since I've been in the business world, mainly I I'm starting to look at the outside piece. There was a little bit of the outside piece that I understood, um, throughout my career, but, but it really has hit home. Here, probably in the last, I don't know, five five years, um, in the job that I had before I just retired from recruiting. Recruiting is all about that. It's the trust of the outside trusting you. I mean, you can't recruit somebody if they don't trust you. Um, I mean, you don't have any authority over them. You're not their leader, but yet that that uh, trust in between them and you has to be there or you'll never get them recruited, which I think is one of the reasons the Army's having a huge problem, not just the Army, the military is having a huge problem recruiting today, is that I think a lot of that trust is gone right now.
0: There, there's a piece, and I, I don't recall if we touched on it the first time that we, we spoke uh, on here, but in your time, as a leader, everybody's made mistakes. Absolutely. And, you know, in, in my opinion, the the best lessons that I've been able to learn from were mistakes that I made and, and where, you know, I needed to own it. And yeah, there, that, there that's was, the key. There was no, there was no, oh, well, I messed up. It was, I had to own it and I had to make it right. Yeah. And that's a very humbling experience, but that'll stay with you and you'll never make that mistake again.
1: (laughs) That's right. Well, you know, I, I, again, I had a boss. I was lucky. I had some really good bosses. He retired a four-star general. And he told me one day, he said, Oak, we're all going to make mistakes. I don't care who you are, you know, Nobody is perfect on this earth. I keep trying to convince my wife that I am, but she's not buying it either. Um, None of us are perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. He said, I don't care. He said, if you didn't make a mistake today, you probably didn't do anything. And he said, I don't care if you make a mistake. He said, what I care about is what did you do after you made the mistake? Did you try to hide it? Did you blame somebody else or did you own it and walk up to me and say, "Hey, hey, sir, I screwed up today and this is how we are gonna fix it. And he's, he'd say, okay, let's go fix it. Didn't care, be honest, own it, and let's fix it. That, and that, that's the philosophy I always took. From that point on, that has always been my philosophy. As long as you own it, and you come to me with an idea how to fix it, we're good.
0: So looking back on your, your career in the Army, are there any mistakes that you made that, that stand out as maybe one that, that shaped who you are today? Oh,
1: uh, I think there, there is a couple that I, that I probably, if I had to do over again, I'd do things differently. Um, but I don't know that it shaped who I am. Um, I, th- I think that other things had more of an impact than that. Certainly, it made me understand that I had to own my mistakes, no doubt about it. Um, but so I guess in that sense, it 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 could have had a bigger impact than I th- I've thought about. But uh, you know, I think the, the whole key to it is to learn from the mistakes. Own it, learn from it, don't do it again and 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 fix it because again we're all going to make mistakes that's guaranteed i don't care who you are i don't care what rank you are i don't care where in the leadership or even not even in leadership you can you can be a worker and you're going to make mistakes and you still got to own it you, that's that's part of that trust piece that if you if somebody works if you're working next to somebody and they make a mistake that they own it and say okay I made a mistake. Let's fix it. That's part of that trust on the inside of the team that the team has to trust that you're going to do that. So I think as long as you do that, I think you're going to be okay. That's what people want that, you know, as a leader, you make a mistake. The, the pe- people that you lead are willing to accept that they know you're not, you're human just like they are. So they're willing to accept that you're going to make a mistake as long as you own it and you, Fix it that that's the key. and I think I think um, I learned that early on, uh, not only from making a couple mistakes, but also from from that boss that I had that really just kind of hammered that home that it it's what you do after the mistake that matters, not that you made a mistake
0: so for all those leaders out there that are well established, they've they've learned a lot of very valuable lessons and they're doing a great job right now as a leader. What, what advice would you give them? Because there's, there's always valuable advice out there for, yeah. for the people that'll take it, you know? And I just, I, I think back uh, when, you know, I, I was running a battalion and I was teaching leadership weekly and, you know, I was, I was living it. Yeah. I made some mistakes. You know, I, I think I allowed my, my ego to get the best of me. You know, I thought I, I was there. I had it all figured out. You know, I'm, I'm the expert, you know, and and I mean, I, I feel like I was, humble i don't think that that was my outward attitude like i was you know telling people you better do it my way or you know it was nothing like that yeah it was just i felt pretty confident in my abilities but that that minimized my awareness of good leadership lessons that may have been happening all around me i don't know yeah, well, I, I think that
1: that you kind of hit on two things. I'll answer the question, but I think what you're hitting on is we all have an ego. If if anybody ever tells you they don't have an ego, they're lying to you, okay? We, we all have an ego. And sometimes it's hard to put it aside and say, okay, I am the leader and I've got all this experience, but that doesn't mean I have all the answers. And somebody might come, might actually have a pretty good idea that I can listen to. So I think that that's tough sometimes for us to, to reel in our ego and, and do the right thing and say, okay, yeah, your idea is better than mine. That's hard as a leader, but it, it, good leaders can do that. I think the second thing to answer your question, what good leaders can be doing, what I think one of the most important things that they have to do is be a mentor. I, I think everybody I don't care what level you are. I don't care if you're the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You need a mentor. Go find somebody. It might be a, a, a prior mentor. It might be a CEO of a business or somebody that you can bounce ideas off of that you trust and ask advice of. And so be a mentor and have a mentor. Be a mentor if you're a leader to somebody. When I go around and talk to companies and organizations and I talk to the leadership and I walk up and I ask somebody, who are you mentoring? and they tell me nobody, then I question whether you're really a leader. You're a boss, but are you really a leader? Because leaders produce more leaders. That's what our job is. Because at some point, you're not gonna be the leader anymore. You're gonna retire, something's gonna happen, and who's gonna take over after you? So you've got to mentor those people. And if you, even a junior leader, if you don't have a mentor, go find one. I promise you there's somebody out there who would love to be your mentor. And it's it's huge. It really it does make a difference in somebody's not only in their career and their life, but in in their how they learn how to be a leader. Because they're going to take it, you know, they're going to learn from somebody. It's it's better if they learn from a good leader than from a bad leader. You know, and, and, and I really I always understood that. And and I b- believe that, but. You know, when I was running my Army ROTC program, again, Master Sergeant David Powell worked for me. And I say he worked for me. He was probably a better leader than I was. And we were sitting there one day talking about the significance of what we were doing, producing that next generation of leaders for the Army and for the nation. And he said to me, he said, you know, sir, great leadership handed down from generation to generation is what develops great nations. And I thought, wow, what a powerful quote. And the most powerful part of that quote is you can take the word nations and you can substitute anything you want for that family, company, university, hospital, food bank, doesn't matter. Every organization needs good leadership. And it's our responsibility as current leaders to pass that on to the next generation of leaders. And we need to take it seriously. And I don't think we have for a, a while. And we're seeing the results because we are going to reap what we sow. I promise you. At some point, we are going to pass that mantle of leadership on to the next generation. If we haven't done a good job, we deserve what we get.
0: Amen. And this has been a great conversation, Oak. I, um, let me see if I can sum it up. <laughs> we, you know, we talked about Servant leadership, 360-degree trust. Mentorship. Mentorship. When you make a mistake, own it. It's more important what you do to correct your mistake than the fact that you made a mistake.
1: Yeah. And put your ego aside.
0: And put your ego aside.
1: Best leaders can do that. And and it's hard, and and I've had some great leaders, who, they had an ego, obviously, but um, but they but they were very good at putting it aside when they needed to.
0: Yeah, there's something that I I talk about quite a bit, uh, even just in my personal life. You know, when I when I have conversations, a topic that has been coming up pretty regularly, uh, recently is self-leadership effective self-leadership and i would say that that ego piece falls directly under that
1: it does yeah that and professional development again you you, leadership is not a destination you don't get there and you're all, all of a sudden you're the best leader in the world leadership is a journey and i don't care if you've been a leader for 40 years 50 years 60 years you can still learn some things and um So I think self leadership is is important because you always got to understand that you can always get better. I don't care. I don't care if you did something really well. You can always do better. And I I'm a huge believer in reflection. I think leaders don't do enough reflecting. And I you know I I, I've incorporated into into my daily life that at the end of every day I think back. Okay, what did I do today? What did I want to do? What did I do, and how can I get better at it? Even if I did it well, I could still get better at it. Um, so I actually stop and think at the end of every day, okay, what are the things i I wanted to accomplish? What did I do, and how could I get better at it? And I think if you do that, you'll see I think you'll see a huge difference in your life.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time again to talk with me. This was a great conversation and you know, it, it's hard to, I mean, I could talk to you for a couple of hours, but yeah, you know, for... I, anytime
1: you want me back again, Dave, you just got to ask.
0: <laughs> all right. Awesome. Well, for, for all you listening out there, uh, Oak McCulloch, Lieutenant Colonel Oak McCulloch, McCullough, um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Uh, should they want to hire you, bring you, Bring you to their organization, help them uh, get on track. Now, what's the best way for people to connect? Yeah, so
1: I've got a website, uh, dot um, com And on there, it has my cell phone number. It has my email address. It has a link to all my social media. has a link to my book if somebody's interested in picking up a copy of my book. But, you know, and by all means, give me send me an email. Give me a call. I'd love to love to talk to people if the, if they're willing if they want me to come talk or even if they just have a question about what we just talked about. I, I'm always I love to talk. This is my passion is to make sure that we are producing good leaders because I don't see a whole lot of them out there right now, and we got to do a better job. And you know, and I hope my my goal on all these podcasts, and I think now I've been on over one hundred and forty in eighteen different countries, is to help at least one person. If we helped one person tonight, then this is worth our time, Dave. Um, and I would love if somebody's watching this and they got a question about what we just talked about, or there was there's a burning question you have about leadership that we didn't cover tonight. Send me an email, ask, ask me about it, and we'll start a conversation about it. Um, because again, we, we got to do better. We, we got to do a better job of training this next generational leaders.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review.